the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear saints of God, last week, last week we heard with the boy Jesus in the temple the very first recorded words of our Lord. When he said to Mary and Joseph, why did you search for me? Didn't you know that I would be in the house and about the business of my father? Last week we heard the first words of Jesus. This week we hear the last recorded words of Mary, the mother of our Lord. Oh, Mary shows up in the Scriptures any number of times more, but this is the last time that we hear her voice, that we hear her speak at this wedding in Cana of Galilee. There is a bit of context, though, to pick it up, because, in fact, verse 1 of the text, John chapter 2, says, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And we have to say, the third day of what? Jesus had just begun His ministry. He had just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit had descended on him like a dove. He had been fully anointed with the Spirit as the Psalms prophesied. And he is set apart now to do his work as the Messiah. John preached, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then immediately the Bible tells us Jesus is taken, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days where he fasts and fights with the Word of God against the temptation of the evil one. When these 40 days are over, our Lord Jesus comes back. He comes back to Galilee and He calls His first disciples. In fact, He calls, by the time that we're at the text here, He calls five of them. Andrew and his brother Peter. Andrew, by the way, was one of the disciples of John the Baptist and he then went and followed Jesus. Philip and Philip's brother Nathaniel and, we presume, a second disciple of John the Baptist, that is, John the Apostle, the one who's writing the text here. So Jesus has with him five disciples, and he's begun now his public ministry. And he goes, three days after calling these disciples, he goes into Cana. And there's a wedding there. And his mom is there also. And they run out of wine. Now, we have to ask ourselves at this point, is this really a big deal, this running out of wine? I mean, you, you know it's a big deal for the bride, for the groom, maybe for, you know, Uncle Eddie who's at the wedding, this is going to be a big deal for him. But in the big scheme of things, is this really that big of a problem? I mean, there's wars and rumors of wars, wars all over the world. There's Poverty, there's hunger, there's sickness, there's death, there's the devil to contend with and temptations and all the troubles of this, of this life. And now there's no wine? We can have comfort in this because Jesus, because Jesus cares even about this, even about the, even about the very, very small things. I wonder sometimes if we stop our prayer short. I mean, you can tell me if this has happened to you. You, you think of something, some, something that's bothering you or something that's troubling you or some small thing that you need and you're about to pray for it. You're about to ask the Lord for help, but you think to yourself, oh, the Lord is, I bet, really busy right now. 
too busy to trouble with this little thing. But he's not. He's not. He's not too busy to hear your prayer. He's not too busy to be concerned with the small stuff. He's not too busy to fix the problem that they've run out of wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. He cares about you, about every little part of your life, every little bit. So don't stop short your prayers. Pray. That's what Mary does. Mary comes and says to Jesus, there's no wine. Here it is in the text, the first three verses. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Mary doesn't make a command of Jesus here. She doesn't say, son, go make some more wine. Jesus fixed the problem. But we see in the simple statement of Mary an almost implied command, but also an implied faith. There's both of these in there. There is no more wine. Now, I want you to ask yourself, how often do you think that this had happened before? I mean, after all, before the, before the Lord was baptized, we presume from everything that we can tell that he lived at home with Mary. We also presume from everything that we know that Joseph, the father of our Lord, had died. After all, he's not with the family here at the wedding. So that some point between the age of 12 and here the age of 30, that Joseph, that Jesus had buried his, his stepfather, Joseph, and he had taken care of his mom. How many times had it happened as they were there in the house in Nazareth that Mary had said to Jesus, Jesus, we're out of bread. And Jesus would have fixed the problem. Now, we don't think that he would have fixed it by, by multiplying the loaves and feeding the one or two. He would have gone down to the bakery like any Jewish man would, and he would have bought some bread and fixed the problem. You know, Jesus, we're, uh, we're out of dishwasher soap, and he would have gone and bought some at the store, this sort of thing. This is how it would have been with Mary and, and, and Jesus. He was her son. He was taking care of her. But... But now, Jesus is baptized. Now, Jesus has the Holy Spirit anointing him with fullness. Now, the voice from heaven had spoken and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus is set apart to do the work of the Messiah. And things have to change. Things have to be different now. Jesus is no longer serving his mother. He's now serving the world he, he's now not acting as the son of Mary, but as the son of God. That's, that explains then this kind of tricky verse 4 where Jesus responds to Mary. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? This is a tough thing to translate because, uh, because in the Greek it's not even a complete sentence. It would be something like this. Uh, Woman, what to you and to me? What to you and to me? Jesus is saying to Mary that, that I am taking up my role now, not as your son, but as God's son. I am taking up my role as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. I'm now no longer serving you, but I'm serving everybody. And then verse 5, Mary understands. The mother said to the servants, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This, as we mentioned before, are, are the last recorded words 
of the Blessed Mother of our Lord Mary. And they're fitting words to be found to be found on her mouth. Do whatever He tells you. Now Jesus is no longer obliged to do what she says, but she and everyone else is obliged to do what, what He says. And there's a noticed, noticeable transition in the text because Jesus now, broken off from His mother, from His family, is now going to bring the disciples into this in, into this work that he's doing of the Messiah. The, the text that follows is really quite stunning. Verses 6 all the way down to verse, uh, down to verse 11. I've always wondered at them because, because this account of the miracle proper is loaded with so many details. The, the number of water pots, pots. The number of gallons that each water pot filled. The fact that the servants filled the water all the way to the very tippy top. The fact that the steward tastes the wine and says that this is the good wine and then goes and has a conversation with the bridegroom making this joke about how he should have served this stuff first. And finally the note by the disciple, by John the disciple that, that he and the other disciples saw what Jesus did and believed. I always tried to figure out what the significance of this was. Why six water pots and not seven or five? Why 20 to 30 gallons instead of 10 to 20? Why this conversation? What do all these details mean? But I think, understanding the context, I'm onto it here. John, imagine it. John is the disciple of John the Baptist. And he's seen Jesus be baptized. He disappeared for 40 days and now he's come back. And John the Baptist sent him and Andrew, his disciples, to follow Jesus. And they've been following Jesus for three days and they're waiting. They're waiting to see what happens. They hadn't seen Jesus perform a miracle yet. They hadn't seen Jesus heal anybody yet. In fact, they're not quite sure if Jesus is really the, the, the Messiah. I mean, they trust John, but they're not sure. And so they're watching. They're like, and the best illustration I can think of, is they're like little uh, young boys who are at their first baseball game. And their eyes are wide. And they're looking around and they're trying to take everything in. Look, look, there's the umpire. Look, there, there's home plate. Look, look, here come the players, and, and this is the first pitch, and look at how green the grass is, and, and I can smell the hot dogs, and all of this sort of thing. They're, they're watching Jesus to see what He's gonna do, and they're, and John is there watching, and He's taking in every little thing, every little detail, because He doesn't want to forget about it. Every word, every gesture, every conversation that He has, and they're watching Jesus, and He's, and Mary says, do what He says, and He says, fill up the water pots, and they bring the pots to Him, and John's watching as the steward dips it and goes to serve it, and John's watching His face as He tastes the first bit of wine and says, Ooh, this is really good. And he's watching as he goes to the bride to talk, bridegroom to talk to him about the, John is watching because this is the moment, and he's going to tell us this, this is the moment that John and Andrew and Peter and, and Philip and Nathaniel, this is the instant that their faith is born. L listen then to the rest of the text. This is verse, verses 6 to 11. And listen with this ex expectancy of the disciples that are waiting to see Jesus do His first miracle. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And He said to them, to the servants, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they drew some out and they took it. Now when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, 
and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, says John, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. How wonderful. The disciples believed. Jesus, in fact, did this sign, this miracle, precisely for the disciples. I mean, everyone there at the wedding would have benefited from it. The bride and the groom, the steward and all the guests would have benefited from the wine that Jesus made. But nobody knew where it came from. Nobody knew except for Mary and the servants and the disciples and, and you. You. John the Apostle writes this down so that you would know where the wine comes from. So that you would know that Jesus is the one who works miracles. So that you would know that Jesus is the creator of all things who does all things to serve you and to keep you and to bless you. This is the first of the signs that Jesus did. But it is not, dear saints, the last. For Jesus is still in the business of going to feasts. He's still in the business of giving to his people wine. But today, he joins with that wine his blood. Today, he joins with the bread that he distributes his very body because nothing is too small for him. He who has all authority in heaven and on earth, he who rules the universe and can do anything that he wants, he who sits at the right hand of God the Father and governs the stars and the moon and the planets, he is concerned about you. And he wants you to have, more than anything else, he wants you to have forgiveness. So he joins his blood and his body performing this sign today so that you would know that your sins are forgiven. This was the first sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. But today we are the witnesses and the beneficiaries of the sign that he does in Aurora of Colorado. The distribution of his very body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. May this miracle-working, sign-giving Savior continue to work His miracles among us that we would know His comfort and His peace. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.